0: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX, sponsored by Michaels Flooring, the flooring experts, MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com.
1: And welcome to Overnight America. It's going to be a fun night. It's a night where it's a Monday. Uh, I want to have some fun and talk about Bob Hamilton. And with him passing away on Friday, you would think, oh, how could you say that? But he was such a fun guy. Anytime he walked into a room, everyone just lit up. And they were, oh, Bob's here. Oh, it's Bob Hamilton. So I want to have a positive uh, a look back at him, his legacy, his work here at KMOX. And when I listen back to an interview we had in February, it just makes me smile because he was that kind of guy. He just made you feel good. You'd sit down with him, and he made you feel good. And I'm really going to miss that. Back in February, we recorded an interview. It was about an hour and a half or so that ended up being less than that because we had so many different people that wanted to come in and say hi while we were recording. They said, oh, i got to go see Bob Hamilton. And I never aired the interview because the intention of the interview was to just use it for clips as part of the radio documentary series I've been working on. So you hear Bob Hamilton as part of the Robert Highland special. You hear him tell stories about Ann Keefe and Jim White, and I'm sure I'm going to use them in the future too, for many other different bro- uh, projects I've been working on. So you'll hear him again. And it's just a shame because I know he enjoyed the ones that were made and I'm glad that he can be a part of all of them. Uh, passing away, last uh, Thursday night at the age of 82. I think there's still info at KMOX.com. It was up all weekend. But we are going to air from 10 until 11. My sit down with him back in February before all of this coronavirus stuff hit, before it was a major concern. And we we were just hinting at the idea, oh, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, what do you think is going to happen? We didn't know. But at the time, at least, we had that opportunity to sit down and I'm very grateful that we did. So I had to try to edit this down to an hour which I did, so from 10 until 11, we're going to replay it, and then I hope that maybe, just maybe, you would call in and we can talk about Bob Hamilton and any stories you may have or just any thoughts you may have missing him. Definitely one of the great news voices on KMOX history. He learned from the best. Rex Davis, he learned from bob uh, hardy and think about the impact he had on all of the other young news broadcasters that came through here so that's uh, 10 o'clock tonight rich Rabinos is going to join us in about eight nine minutes from now and we'll talk some politics he's the author of american politics on the rocks try to put a few things in perspective and then at nine o'clock johnny rabbit's gonna join us this is awesome so i messaged johnny and i said hey would you come on the show tonight there's an interesting interview Uh, President Obama talked to The Atlantic and some of the other, I think NPR, and he's doing a lot of interviews, but one of the common threads is that he's saying right-wing media is the problem. He said it many times, right-wing media ecosystem, and right-wing media is the problem, and this and that. And what you see online is that a lot of people are calling for the return of the fairness doctrine. Now, this is a broadcast FCC regulation that was abolished in the late 1980s. It really brought the rise of Rush Limbaugh and some other programs. Now, keep in mind, Rush's program began in California during the Fairness Doctrine. It just meant there had to be another show that had equal time as him. So if Rush did a three-hour show, they needed a liberal talking host for three hours or whatever, and they tried to balance it out that way. But keep in mind, when that ended, you really saw the rise of conservative media. And they see that as the biggest threat to America. So many people do. And I thought, I'm going to talk to Johnny Rabbit about the history of the Fairness Doctrine, what it was like before, what it was like after, get his perspective on it. Because I think that when you see it trending on social media and it becomes popular, it's good for us to talk about it again. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll join him a little after 9 o'clock tonight. So, uh, Richard Bean will be coming up. And just one other thing, I thought I would bring this up. If you want to text in, I have the text line open at 314-436-7900. Nice show planned for tonight. I'm on Facebook. I did a taste test with these oldies turkey and stuffing chips, if you <laughs> want to see that. And my dog makes an appearance in that one, too. That's on Ryan Wrecker Radio on Facebook. And tomorrow I have off, and I am looking forward to taking the day off. And one of the reasons I have off is because my wife, well, n- number one, I had other vacation days I needed to use. But my wife said, hey, um, it's time to put up the tree. And we do it normally around her birthday. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to take a random day off and she's been bugging me put the tree up put the tree up and there's a lot of people that have been putting christmas trees up and finally i said all right i'm just going to pick a day we're going to do it the tree's going up if you can wait that long and she said oh yes now she tried to get me to do it today now the one thing i had in return of putting the tree up is that i get to listen to the music when we're putting the tree up and i have i believe selected wisely <laughs> Now tell me this wouldn't be just how anyone would want to spend most of their days is listening to dogs sing jingle bells. So we're going to hear that for a couple hours tomorrow. I think that she's in for trouble. I I don't think she'll want to... I don't think she's going to sandbag. I don't think she's going to take her time. I feel like she's going to be working pretty hard to get that tree up so this song will stop playing. Now, my son thinks this is great. He's looking forward to hearing this on a loop. And I know some of you may even have your tree up, and maybe next year you can remember to play this song. (laughs) Rich would enjoy if I were to air this leading into our interview, because it has nothing to do with anything we're about to talk about. But he's always a good perspective when he thinks into historical perspective. He's coming up next. You're listening to Overnight America, KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. And Overnight America is live tonight up until midnight, then the replay hours after midnight where we post them online as podcasts, too. Just take a look for Ryan Wrecker Radio on Facebook or the Overnight America podcast, wherever you get them. A couple of text messages that came in when I played the dog's barking song. Yes, the dogs all across the KMOX listening area may have been barking at the radio, too, so I'm sorry for that. One person said their dogs were barking at the radio. The other one said I was just listening to the dog barking Christmas songs yesterday. I'm glad that I am not the only one. That still plays those things. Joining us now, the author of American Politics on the Rocks, Geek dot com is his website. Rich Rubino, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan?
1: Good. You're. Uh, I would say you're more exciting than dogs barking. So um, I don't
2: know <laughs> the, how that, will, to take that. <laughs> well, I will say this: if you go to YouTube and type in uh, Mitt Romney and Who Let the Dogs Out, you'll be very, you'll be uh, very uh, pleasantly surprised. He actually tries oh. to sing it. Oh, I cannot wait to find that <laughs> politicians
1: <laughs> singing um, that could be a whole new thing, but you know what 's interesting is what we 're seeing in politics today there's still a lot of contention uh, legal battles that turn out to be oh, yeah. you know turned down by judges. who knows if it's going to go further recounts things like that. Um, one of the interesting things and i I should have told you I was going to ask you about this, but we saw a new look for President Trump. He had the gray hair over the weekend. Did you see that Yes. I thought he looked good. Now, presidents, generally speaking, turn gray when they're in the office, right? I mean, that's like a traditional thing.
2: (laughs) Yes. I mean, you look at, I'll say this, if you look at a picture, I mean, the, the the most interesting example, look at Lyndon Johnson when he entered in 63, and not only when he left in 69, but look at pictures of him in 71 and 72. He grew his hair long. Like Long, like remember he was part. He was protesting when he was president because of his support for the Vietnam War. He had hundreds of thousands of kids yelling yelling at him all day, so he grew. Basically, became a hippie, started smoking, and gained about 60 pounds. You see a picture in '63 versus '72, the year before he died. You would not recognize him.
1: Yeah, it's funny how sometimes those things work. And you're right because I remember seeing some where he kind of had to slick back hair for a while, didn't he?
2: Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he, he basically became a hippie. The story is, on his, the plane ride going back to Texas in 1969, he started, all of a sudden he started smoking, and he had stopped smoking after he had a heart attack in 1955 when he was, in the, when he was the U.S. Senate Majority Leader. And his daughter came up to him on the plane and said, Daddy, said, why are you smoking? And he said, you know, he says, I've been president, I've raised you two girls, this is my time. So he went back to Texas. He stopped exercising and just kind of basically let himself go, and he ended up actually dying. He, so he left on January 20th of 1969, and he died on January 22nd of 1973. And had he served a second term, a second full term, he would have died two days after.
1: Wow. Hypothetically. Well, I don't know, what kind of medical yes, yes. access do they have afterwards? I'm assuming that if you're a former president, even, that you still have the world-class health care system at your fingertips.
2: Oh yes, absolutely. At least we do now. It used to be in the days of Truman. Actually, Truman, uh, Truman went home, and actually, he was still living in the house in Independence, Missouri, that his wife had inherited from his, from her from her parents. And he really would, did not have that much money. So that's when the whole system began of giving a president a pension. And today they have you know essentially lifetime Secret Service, um, unless they unless they disavow it. Richard Nixon was only the president, the only president to say that he did not want it, but essentially. Any any former president has Secret Service with them basically anywhere that they go. Vice presidents interestingly do not. They do when they're in the when they're in office, but former vice presidents as soon as they leave, they no longer they no longer have it unless they hire a, unless they hire somebody uh, with their own funds.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Why wouldn't Richard Nixon want Secret Service? Uh, why would he deny that?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he so he. Basically, so he, first of all, after he left, he went down to California. Eventually, he landed up in New Jersey and New York. That's where he lived the rest of his life. He had private security, and he certainly had a private chap, that type of thing, but he did not want to go through the system of having um, secret service. He also did not want to have a very fancy funeral, but, of course, he did have an extremely fancy funeral in 94. He had Bob Dole speaking, Bill Clinton, Pete Wilson speaking, but... Um, you know, the presidents do have the liberty to deny it, but certainly the fact that, you know, everywhere you go, everyone's going to be looking at you, um, I think it would be very perilous not to accept it.
1: Yeah, I, I would say I, Richard Nixon's one of the first times I remember an announcement where a president was passed because I was watching a hockey game. Oh, wow. and you know, they put them on all the big screens. They're like, we, we were to inform the crowd that Richard Nixon passed. They had like a moment of silence. And I think a lot of other sporting events probably did something like that. But, um, you know, one of the interesting things I learned, too, is that once you're, you become president, even when you're out of office, you're never allowed to drive on city streets again. Is that right?
2: Uh, I can't imagine. I don't know if that's actually true. I know that I know that Hillary Clinton said the last time she drove, was election day of 1996 when she was in the when she was in Little Rock and the whole family was in Little Rock until that was the last time she actually drove um, a car. But I didn't I haven't heard that about city streets though.
1: Yeah, I thought that that came out when. Ronald Reagan passed, and they talked about how he would always drive on his private ranch and do these different things when he was able to. But they said he can never go on the city streets. It was some sort of uh, regulation or something where former presidents can't do that. I I don't remember. Maybe it's been a long time. But I, I wanted to ask you about this one news analysis, this editorial in the L.A. Times by Mark Baraback. And the headline is, it's not just Trump. The whole century has been politically stormy. I'm wondering with that statement, the whole century has been politically stormy. Do you agree with that statement?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. We're basically in, we're in a very partisan times right now. I mean, just you go back, it used to be, and this was not too long ago, in the 1960s, the Democratic Party was essentially two parties in one, and the Republican Party was two parties in one. The Democrats had Southern conservatives— and then they had Northern and sometimes more Midwestern liberals. The same party that had George McGovern and Hubert Humphrey also had, you know, Richard Russell. They had James Eastland from Minnesota, from, um, Minnesota, from Minnesota, from Mississippi, rather, um, and, and, probably, and John Sennis, probably the two most conservative members of the United States Senate, um, were Democrats. And then on the Republican side, you had conservatives, libertarians like Barry Goldwater on, on, from Arizona. But then you also had very liberal Republicans, like Ed Brooke from Massachusetts, Jacob Javits from New York, Kenneth Keating from New York, and lots of times people would vote for, um, at the presidential level, they would vote for the Democrat, for example, they would vote for Lyndon Johnson at the presidential level, then Kenneth Keating, when he ran for re-election as senator in 1964. He actually lost to Robert F. Kennedy, but his slogan was, vote for Johnson first, then vote to Cape Keating. Uh, George Romney, the, the father of the current United States senator from Utah, um, was the governor of Michigan, and he ran in 1964. He actually sent out to his, sent out to his supporters um, ballots and showing how you could vote for the Democrat for president and vote for him as well for governor of Michigan. So you had this scenario. You had know, what was called the conservative coalition. The conservative coalition was Western conservative Republicans and Southern conservative Democrats. And that was th- those were the people who essentially voted against the Civil Rights Act, for example. And then you had Northern Republicans, Northern liberal Republicans, And Democrats um, from mostly – Democrats mostly also from northern states, some of them from out west as well, who are supporters of civil rights, The issues like Vietnam. Um, So now what you have is the parties have become so ideologically homogenous that you you have very little overlap in terms of, for example, Democrats who represent congressional districts that win for Donald Trump. There are currently 31 of them. Um, And a lot of them have actually lost this time around, folks like Colin Peterson in Minnesota, Kendron Horn in Oklahoma, Ben McAdam in South Carolina, um, Ben McAdam in Utah, rather, Joe Cunningham in South Carolina. These were all Democrats who who were elected last time around, at least three of them were, who basically lost because the district was just too conservative for them.
1: Mm. You know, when you talk about the district being too conservative— Um, Sometimes those things change. Uh, You see a lot of that changing right now. And I'm wondering what you think of different areas that are changing colors, uh, if you wanted to look at it as a red state, blue state type of deal. Do you see any of these as bigger trends? Like, do you see Colorado and Arizona permanently blue states? And what what, what do you look at what happened this year in the election and what you think that may lead for future trends?
2: That's exactly what's happening. What you're seeing now is you're seeing states like Colorado, for example, and virginia now virginia back in 1976 jimmy carter that year swept the entire democratic South. the only states he lost were virginia and oklahoma virginia was considered the most conservative other southern states now virginia is not even in play and that's in part because of kind of the migration specifically to northern virginia and you have you know virginia is almost like three states in one of most you have very liberal areas like Richmond, for example, you have very democratic citadels, then you have northern Virginia, which is certainly is not the south it's a lot of transplants that will live around the d c area and then you have kind of southern you know Southern Virginia tobacco farms, for example, which are very conservative, but there is too many people moving into moving into the d c area that they that they that they are essentially um they essentially, I guess there there are just too many of them that they're crowding out the people from the rest of the states. So as a result, Virginia is no longer in play. Colorado, the same thing. You have Denver and you have Boulder, for example. Very democratic. I mean, Boulder is one of the most democratic parts of the country. You have college towns. There are conservative parts of Colorado as well. I mean, going out way out to Grand Junction, you know, way out by the Utah border, for example. But they're no longer hegemonic in the state of Colorado. Arizona, from 1952. When uh, 1948, the last time Harry Truman won it until 1996, when Bill Clinton won it went Republican every single time, it was a rock rib Republican state. It was a state of Barry Goldwater. It was a state of John Kyle, state of John Rhodes, the former minority leader from Arizona. It has since become um, more or less of a purple state and more or less of a purple state in part because of the Latino influx in the state, and also just simply in places like the suburbs of Phoenix, the suburbs of Tucson, you have a lot of those suburban voters who are um, not palatable to Donald Trump's message. But just in terms of congressional districts, what usually the candidate tries to do, and this is what they're kind of the civil war they're having in the Democratic Party, is they try to show how they're independent-minded, how they're independent-minded from the national party. So then, you never hear a Democrat like running saying using the words Nancy Pelosi or AOC. They say they're independent-minded. They try to bring up legislation they support with the other party. The problem is there are a lot of votes that are some. Some of them are controversial. Some of them are not controversial. Some of them are naming post offices. But at any rate, so every every Democratic candidate is probably going to vote someone like 85 percent or 90 percent with Nancy Pelosi. And every Republican is going to make sure that every independent voter and every conservative Republican voter knows that that person voted this many times with Nancy Pelosi. So Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi is just this imprimatur that the Republicans were successfully able to um, able to label the Democratic candidates this time around. Um, And it's been very hard for the Democrats to kind of be able to disallegate themselves from that.
1: Well, there's interesting indicators of how the election may go that I think are starting to get broken too. And maybe after the break, we can talk about that if sure. you don't mind. And I also want to talk about the election not being over. So there's runoffs in other states that are doing other things. So a lot of times we look at some of the results from this uh, 2020 election from just a couple of weeks ago, and we think, okay, it's, it's just about over, right? We're going to figure this out soon. Oh, no. There's, I mean, there's a lot of other things that are going that's not with the president's race that we're still going to have to uh, address. As they say in that runoffs. famous
2: movie, it's not over. It, was it over when the Japs bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> when the Germans jabbed Pearl Harbor? Yeah, no. When,
1: yeah, was it over the Germans, when the Germans... Right, the Germans <laughs> the Animal House. Yeah, the great John yes. Belushi skit. Uh, Rich Rubino, American <laughs> Politics on the Rocks is the name of the book. Politi-geek.com. You can look up up on social media, and we'll continue with him next on Overnight America KMOX.
3: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make
0: ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
1: You have 47 new voicemails.
0: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two
2: more ribs, two more.
0: You deserve this ice cold reward. Modello, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, Beer imported by Crowley Port Chicago, Illinois. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals.
1: Welcome back to Overnight America. And Rich Rubino, I apologize. I should have started looking for the Mitt Romney who let the dogs out clip before uh, I had time. And I only got to the tail end of it. I haven't heard him trying to sing it yet.
2: I think there might be a shorter version on there, too. (laughs)
1: Let <laughs> the dogs out. <laughs> Politicians—they'll do anything. Election season, won't they? There's no shame. Though, I mean, if it, if it helps them, they'll do it.
2: <laughs> it's, um, it's pandering a- is always um, is uh, pandering is always entertaining when you see a politician in a setting that they really very seem very awkward. in, And certainly, folks like Mitt Romney um, is somebody that can be very awkward and sometimes in political settings. We start with Richard Nixon. Um, John Kerry. I can remember John Kerry campaigning oh. in Ohio, and he said, "Is this where I can get me a hunting license?" <laughs> <You know>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love things like that. Or when they come to Missouri and they start calling it Missouri, just because they think that's what the uh, locals do. Uh, not really, but okay, you can you can play that game. I wanted you know, to so ask one you one thing
2: fascinating. When um, when mm-hmm. Dick Gephardt was being considered for John Kerry's running mate, they actually took a poll. And they determined that John Edwards was more popular in the state of Missouri or Missouri than Dick Gephardt, in part because there was kind of this um, view that he was a cosmopolitan p- politician from St. Louis. And in the rest of the state, they kind of have, you know, they, I guess they have kind of a, um, they don't view, they view sometimes kind of St. Louis politicians with disdain. So as a result, he actually, would not, he actually would have, John Edwards rather, actually would have done better with John Kerry than Dick Gephardt. And that was one of the things they were actually looking at, but they lost the state anyways.
1: Hmm. I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. That John Edwards seemed like such a promising <laughs> young fellow. Whatever happened to
2: him? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, he didn't run this time for president, believe it or not. Um, he decided against it. Actually, at the, when, the, when the Democratic National Convention was in North Carolina, he actually was not even a delegate. He actually went back to practicing law in uh, private practice, so which he was doing before he was in the United States Senate. Fascinating guy, a meteoric rise he was elected to the United States Senate in 1998 by 2000 he was literally the second choice of John Kerry for his of um, Al Gore rather than as the vice presidential running mate it came under Joe, Joe Lieberman and John and John Edwards he chose Joe Lieberman he ran for president in 2004 um, actually came in actually came in second place in Iowa and, had, and then became vice presidential running mate for John Kerry, ran again in 2008. Then, of course, the whole Henrietta Hunter thing came up. And since then, he's really been um, a surreptitious figure. You never hear about him in the national politics. He, meteoric rise, meteoric fall.
1: Yeah. Now, I can't remember. Did he actually go to jail? Or was no, he, no, he did he not. He did not. Though, wasn't he? What's that? Well, he was sued, though,
2: wasn't he? What's
1: that? He was sued, though, wasn't he?
2: Yes he was, but I know that it he had a, i think I believe it was a split verdict. I know that came out um uh-huh. in his favor, and he never landed up going to jail. Oh
1: man, it got close there all right, so I wanted to ask you about some of these indicators that you think may be broken in the future because so many times we look at certain presidential indicators and they'll say, oh, whoever buys the most Halloween masks, that's how we know yeah. will be the next president. Sometimes you look strictly at approval rating and say, OK, if the number's up by a certain amount, historically speaking, the person gets reelected. Or in some cases, you look at the, are you better off four years ago than you are now and things like that? Or you look at, OK, if they take yeah. Ohio or if they take Florida, then that's a pretty good indicator that they'll win the presidency. So there's certain indicators, I think, that are broken. Uh, do you think that they're in, basically broken forever now. Do you think that some of these things will start maybe coming back in the future and this was just such a weird year that you can't really take any of these things?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, this time you have a scenario where, for example, Ohio, between Ohio since 1960 has gone for the winter every single year except this year, um, Florida is another state. You have a you have a scenario where both um, where both Florida and Ohio are going the way essentially of the country. Since Florida can be kind of um, contradictory this time, both Florida, although Florida Massachusetts was won by Joe Biden, so we can take consolation in that with 209 votes. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 he went up by six votes. was razor thin there. Um, so no, no, I think that you, certainly you're seeing this scenario. I think that in the, in the case of Ohio, how has always been an indicator. There's literally. Fascinating. Never been a Republican who's won the presidency without carrying the state of Florida. I mean without carrying the State of Ohio rather. And Calvin Coolidge back in nineteen twenty four was the last Republican president to win the presidency without carrying the state of Florida. He was the last Republican in the time Florida was more or less kind of almost somewhat of a deep southern state. Um, you're obviously seeing somewhat, somewhat you're seeing somewhat of a change here. Minnesota, for example, going back to nineteen seventy two, the last time a um, the last time a Democrat, the last time a Republican won in that year with Nixon won the state, and that year he won 49 other states. Now you're seeing Minnesota this time around being a competitive state. I think it's going the way, as Arizona goes one way, Minnesota's probably going the other way. Iowa... Um, you know, Joe Biden made a, really made a gamble the last week of the campaign. He spent some time in Iowa. In part, I think he probably thought he had the race wrapped up, and he wanted to also aid the three congressional – actually, four congressional candidates that were in competitive races in, Ohio, in, in Iowa, and he had a United States Senate race. Um, they landed up. They lost the states to the Senate race. They barely won one of the congressional races. So it's not probably a um, dexterous move for him, but Iowa is going, becoming more and more of a Republican state, and I think the next few, facts, the next few elections, unless it's, it seems like a Democratic landslide, you will not be sp- seeing them spending much of their time in Iowa. You'll be seeing them spend time in Arizona and certainly Texas as well. I think They start Texas. They seem to be on the precipice of winning Texas. As I always say, demography is destiny, and Um, That Texas is just a state where, you know, whether you're Dallas, Houston, Austin, and then some Latino areas, which which are at least more Democrat than they are Republican now, I think Texas is a state they think they can probably win the next time for the first time a Democrat's won since Carter in 76. Wow.
1: Now, I wanted to talk about some of the different things that are not over yet. So we still have some contention, I guess, in the presidential race. Um, I think all signs will indicate that Joe Biden will be the the next president. But there's still a legal battle going on from President Trump and his people. So outside of that one, there's other elections that are still ongoing. And we can point to Georgia. So this 2020 election year is not over yet. There's runoffs and other things to come, which, again, you think, I wish this was just over.
2: Nope, not yet. Well, yeah, it's interesting. So, well, basically, well, so people say, why is Georgia now? Why is Georgia going going past the, where the other states went? Here's what's going on, basically. So, in, under Georgia law, for a state for a state election, if nobody garners, if somebody garners 50 percent of the vote in the in the original election, they essentially automatically get elected. If they don't, then there's a runoff. So, you've seen this scenario in the past. For example, back in 1966, Lester Maddox. Was elected governor. Was elected governor of Georgia this way, um, in part because you know you had other candidates like Jimmy Carter that year. A state senator ran, Lester, Matt, and then they, he did, Lester Maddox did not garner 50 percent, so he ended up running against a guy named Bo Calloway, and then they um, landed up having a runoff, and Lester Maddox got elected that way. The past few few times when they've had this, Sexby channelist for example, last time around, landed up beating Jim Martin, the Democrat, by about 15 points. Um, prior to that, you had Winch Fowler. Who was a Democrat who was running um, and who did not who did not win the 50%. He was an incumbent at the time. He ended up losing that congressional seat to Paul Coverdell. Bill Clinton that year actually camp- went and campaigned for him. Um, so this time around, there were two Senate seats in Georgia. Why were there two Senate seats? One of them is simply the fact that Senator Perdue um, is running for reelection and he garnered or just barely did not garner the 50% requisite required. And the other one is because there was a senator. In the state of Georgia, named Johnny Isaacson who had to retire because of health reasons. So as a result, there was a, there was a, there's going to be a special election. He was actually, there was somebody who was appointed to succeed her, um, Senator Loeffler. Now she is now up for essentially a, she's up for essentially running for two years. Then she's going to have to run for a full term. So the reason these are so significant, specifically, is the Democrats, in order to control the United States Senate, they have to win both of these congressional, they have to win both of these Senate seats, they have to win both of them and if they do that, then Senator Harris, senator Harris then Vice President Harris, assuming Joe Biden assumes the presidency can break any tie vote now you ask the question, what about the filibuster? this is interesting mm-hmm. because the filibuster essentially says you need 60 votes in the United States Senate in order to stop the, so the United States Senate from just talking everything like Harry Reid, for example, when he was in Nevada when he was a Senator for Nevada, he would do filibuster and he would read his book about Searchlight Nevada so if they can if they can get all fifty Democrats to agree to abolish the filibuster, then they can essentially do it be the same as the United States House of Representatives and they can essentially pass anything assuming they get all all fifty senators on board. Potentially they could also get Susan Collins and maybe Mitt Romney on some pieces of legislation as well. So that's why this is so important and you're obviously gonna see um, in Georgia you're gonna see a lot of the um, you're gonna see a lot of surrogates. Mike Pence is gonna go down there. I would assume that Joe Biden would go down there. He said he'd be willing to campaign in Georgia because he knows how important it is to his presidency that they win not just one seat, but they win both seats. If they win one seat, it's great for them, but they need both seats, really. And it's um, it's probably the most important runoff that I can think of in Georgia, certainly in American history. And Georgia is basically going to become the epicenter of American politics up until January 5th. It's absolutely a fascinating phenomenon.
1: Wow. So this is almost like you scripted it for a movie. Uh, it's oh, absolutely, down like absolutely,
2: that. <laughs> absolutely. The, the only th- the only thing that would have been more fascinating is if, the, if if the house was just about you know one seat away from the two th- 2008 from the two hundred eighteen you need, and then there was like one congressional race that was you know that didn't meet the runoff or something like that. But this is absolutely going to be fascinating. You're going to see it's basically going to be a national election. Um, I think the candidates are specifically the Democratic candidates are probably going to try to focus more on local issues, but. The Republicans are going to say, you know, you're Chuck Schumer, you're Chuck Schumer. And it's just going to be essentially a national election in the state of Georgia, and local issues will probably be secondary and tertiary.
1: Do you remember that movie by Kevin Costner? I think that was his film, where essentially it came down to his one vote, and he was going to decide who the president was going to be?
2: Uh, no. I remember Mr. What's Smith that? Goes to Washington, but I don't remember that one.
1: Oh, uh, what was it? I thought it was Kevin Costner. But essentially what happened was a swing Swing vote. Yes. Have you seen that one?
2: I don't believe I'd have.
1: Okay, so Swing Vote came out. I'm looking it up on Wikipedia or uh, IMDB. So 2008, there's two candidates that were running for president. Uh, Kelsey Grammer was one of them. And the other one, was it Dennis Hopper? He might have been the other one. But there was basically two pretty well-established actors that were running for president. Somehow um kevin costner's vote gets invalidated or essentially it comes down to the wire and as there's a tie in the state and whoever takes the state wins the presidency so kevin costner is the one vote who gets to recast his vote and whoever he picks will become the next president of the united states
2: wow wow Wow. (laughs) i think you
1: might like that but that's georgia right now i mean it's we're talking about slim margins of what's going on when it comes to what just one person can do to shift american politics it's pretty amazing
2: Oh no! Absolutely, absolutely. Um, this is going to be this is going to be fascinating. What happens down in the Peach State? And obviously, this is going to be great if you're if you happen to own a television or a radio station or a newspaper in the state of Georgia. You're looking to make some extra money, and certainly there's going to be advertising absolutely ad nauseum.
1: Uh huh. Oh, good. People thought for sure that ads were done, and they thought, oh, thank goodness, I can go on to a website and not have to see a pre-roll video ad of some candidate talking about the other person uh, flying in private jets and,
2: <laughs> and golfing if you live all in day Georgia, and although, you know It's interesting, though, you talk about one person perhaps costing an election, there actually is maybe an arguably an example that. Grover Cleveland was running against James G. Blaine back in 1884, and James G. Blaine appeared with the um, Presbyterian minister, and the Presbyterian minister said that this is a Republican, said that the Democratic Party was the party of rum, romanticism, and rebellion. So why was that such a big deal? Because when you say the word rum, um, meaning the Democratic Party, many who had Irish ancestry, immediately thought that you were saying that they were alcoholics. So why did mm-hmm. this hurt Blaine? Because Blaine did not disavow it. So as a result, there was, this, there was essentially a coalescence in the state of New York, the most important state that year, um, for Grover Cleveland because there was such apoplexy that Blaine did not disavow it, and as a result, he landed up winning that st- he landed up barely winning that state by a razor's edge, and with it, he won the election.
1: Wow. Alright, so you're polita-geek.com, and of course, your book is out, which people can find all over the place. They can get links on your website, but they can find American Politics on the Rocks there, and hopefully soon, I can't wait for you to tell me about your new book when it's time. I'm so excited. Oh, yes. How's it it's, going?
2: Um, it- it's work. I'm, I'm working on it prociferously now, and I will definitely uh, let everybody know.
1: Very good. And, of course, social media. Where can they find you?
2: Yep. You can find me on Twitter at Rich Rubino Paul. Go to uh, Facebook and just type in Rich, and then last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O.
1: Great. So good to talk to you. Now, next week I'm going to be off, so I'm hoping we can hook up in two weeks from now.
2: we Will do. Absolutely.
1: Rich Rabino, American Politics on the Rocks, in his website, polita Geek.com. Make sure to look him up. I know a lot of you listening enjoy his segment because I get great feedback for it. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line on Overnight America KMOX.
0: This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the Flooring Experts. michaelsflooringoutlet.com Outlet.com on KMOX.
1: Ah, Rich is so good. Johnny Rabbit's going to join us in about 15, 16 minutes from now, and we're going to talk about the Fairness Doctrine. It was trending on social media. I think that when President Obama giving these interviews had been talking about the right-wing media, oh, the right-wing media ecosystem and how dangerous it is, things like that. A lot of people went online and they said, oh, this wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't for that Fairness Doctrine. We need to get that back in place. It was something that was in place for a long time, and then during the Reagan administration, the late 80s, the FCC decided to cancel it, essentially, get rid of it. And it opened up really a lot of what we see today in modern entertainment when it comes to talking politics. Now, they hate that. And Obama repeatedly saying or repeated, repeatedly saying that it's a threat to democracy, things like that. Um, so I wanted to talk to Johnny but I thought, okay, he's lived through all of this. He's got a great perspective. And I thought, well, how about you tell us about the Fairness Doctrine? What it was like before, what it was like after, and is it really a threat to democracy, I guess. And we'll get some of his thoughts on it. And I also want to talk to him about Bob Hamilton, who passed away last week. And tonight at 10 o'clock, I'm going to air an hour interview with Bob Hamilton. I sat down in February with him to record a couple of his memories, really the KMOX memories, the things that... Brought him to KMOX, the people he worked with and the stories. And I wanted to use them for the radio documentaries, and I have. And I'll continue to use him in the radio documentaries. It's just unfortunate that last week at the age of 82, he passed away. So I wanted to talk to Johnny Rabbit about it. And then afterwards, the interview that I never aired, this will be the first time it's aired on KMOX, will be from 10 until 11 o'clock tonight. All right, so a few things I wanted to get to before... We get out of here, at least for the hour. Over at KMOX.com, St. Louis County residents who test positive for COVID-19 now expected to do their own contact tracing. This is the interesting thing about the con- doing your own contact tracing. So I wondered how this could backfire. <laughs> Number one, if there is no accountability, do you even take it seriously? Then again, do you really want the county? I'm not saying this is a bad thing. And what I'm saying is, do you really want the county stepping in and telling you well someone you knew or someone that you may or may not have been around with long enough it doesn't mean you have the virus but we're just going to ground you for a couple of weeks you and your family uh do you really want that and keep in mind what the county and the city and some of these different local governing agencies were doing in the past when they did their own contract tracing was oh we'll punish you uh, under the full extent of the law if you do not comply they were very forceful and threatening when that was really unnecessary so In the county, looks like they're going to be on the the system of honor. And if that's the case, maybe that's a little bit better. But I'm just curious. I don't think anyone's going to be actually using that and saying, okay, well, now I have to uh, keep it real close, unless they really wanted to get locked away for a couple of weeks voluntarily. So it says if you test positive, it's up to you to notify those that have been in close contact and isolate them for 10 days. The other part of this is that doesn't this remind you of all those television shows when someone finds out they have a... Venereal disease. They have to like contact all their old partners. <laughs> so they, they do these like on skits and movies and TV shows. Oh, I got to call everyone and let them know that I have fill in the blank. <laughs> this is what it reminds me of. <laughs> oh, embarrassing. But there is some good news. There's updates. The uh, Pfizer coronavirus vaccine, it looks like 90% uh, effectiveness, which is pretty awesome. Moderna, they have a 94, 95% effective rate. I mean, this is another vaccine that appears out. I think both of them are looking towards a two-shot type of deal. So you don't just get one, you got to get two. This is really awesome. I think the uh, distribution of it is going to be the next step. How fast are they going to be able to get these things out there? And how awesome is it that there's at least multiple companies that have been able to develop this and to be able to get it out in time. Here's Dr. Fauci.
3: I believe it's going to be done, Jake. I'm I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we will be able to get that done. We have a, you know, a system, uh, the distribution system led by General Gus Perna, who is going to be responsible for getting the material there. Obviously, locally, once they get them there, they're going to have to be able to distribute. And that's what they're going to likely need more resources for. As we're hearing, they're talking about needing considerable more resources to be able to implement that.
1: You know what I learned? I learned that the vaccine really doesn't have much um, in the way of testing for children. So if you are thinking about maybe a child that would be a high risk and you're afraid, it's uh, I, I don't know what the distribution of that's going to look like. Do you give it to your kid if they didn't test them on kids, only adults? I think mostly they stuck to adults because the kids, and you find that when you look at the different rates of infection, there are kids that do get infected by this but they are not really in a state of medical emergency. So they're not looked at as a high priority. I mean, the adults, the older you get, you compound other types of uh, health issues on top of that. And the more health issues that you put on top of it, and when you put COVID into the mix, it's devastating to the body, and it's very difficult to recover. And then you add age on top of it too, and it makes it sometimes insurmountable. So what about the kids? Uh, How are they going to work out in this? This is
3: not an unusual situation Is that once you have a vaccine shown to be safe and effective in adult, you can go back and do phase one and phase two trials in children and then do what's called bridging it, namely using the immunogenicity data to show that it's comparable responses in children, but it's safe. And the reason we do that is that children are vulnerable and you always got to make sure that you're dealing with a safe and effective vaccine before you even think about putting it. Into children, You want to get the children to get it as quickly as you possibly can. You don't want to deprive them of access to it, but you want to make sure you're safe when you're dealing with a vulnerable population such as children. That's standard, what we do with almost all vaccines.
1: This is something, too, that I don't understand. So if would you volunteer your kid to take this if it's been not tested on a kid? Like, oh, yeah, use my kid as your test guinea pig. No, thanks. I think I'm going <laughs> to think i'm gonna sit this one out because oh i love my kid and i want to see how this works out but then essentially somehow they got to find these things out too we're gonna put my kid on the forefront must have a lot of trust in that vaccine you know as an adult i don't mind taking it i I will have no hesitation taking the vaccine i'll just put that out there just probably won't pump it into my kid because it hasn't been tested that way all right our friend johnny rabbit right after the break it's overnight america kmox